Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. And what better way to start the week out than listening to my Born to Talk radio show podcast. So thank you for joining me. My guest today has had a very long history in radio and travel, and I'm thrilled to have John Clayton joining me today. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Marsha. Thanks ever so much for having me. It's a real pleasure, and I look forward to a really interesting conversation. I do as well, and I want to give a shout-out to a friend of mine that I think that you met through um, the Dragon Boats. His name is Dave Turple. Yes, and I've known the Triple family for a very, very long time. They live right here in Westchester, where I do. And I just want to thank Dave for connecting me to you. So let's get started. And I think the best, the best way to get started for me, for me personally, is this is a personal show. This is all about you, John. So I thought of the, I'm sure people that just listened to the few things that you just said, thank you, could tell you had an accent. So could you just tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about yourself and where, where, where were you raised? I was raised and born in London, and it's really funny when, well, not funny, but interesting when you say you have an accent. I was on L.A. radio for 16 years, and we'll get to that momentarily. But um, the number, I was, uh, my first station was KABC 790 on your radio dial, and the number of women that would call in and say, you know, oh, John, I just love listening to you. Please say something else in English. And <laughs> it made me laugh because, you know, I was speaking English. What they meant was say something else in British English. So, yeah, um, I've been in this great country, the United States, for, oh, gosh, 55 years. Been a proud citizen uh, for 46, 47 years. And although I haven't tried to lose my accent, uh, it's just stuck with me. But I've found, especially on radio and in television, that there's something about my type of British accent that made people think about travel and um, the thing that, <laughs> that I'm laughing because the thing that always entertained me personally was when, you know, people would say, oh, John, you sound so educated. Well, um, I watch a lot of English television. And the funny thing is I've been away from England so long now that when we watch shows from England, I have to say to my wife, uh, what, did, what did they say? I mean, it's really hard to understand. So we now have that, uh, you know, words on the bottom of the screen. But yes, to answer your question, uh, I was born in, in London. I was born in what's called the Royal Borough of Kensington. And borough simply means that London has boroughs as L.A. has places like Hollywood and Beverly Hills. So, yes. But the interesting, I mentioned uh, Kensington because anytime I tell Brits, uh, I'm from London, and they say where, and I say Kensington. They always say, oh, so you're from the posh 
district of London. So anyway, yeah, um, that's really about it. Uh, as I say, I've been here 55 years and uh, a citizen for 45. So it's it's a wonderful country. You know, it's really funny. I I, I do my best not to interrupt, but you know, undoubtedly that will happen. And you mentioned that you were on KBC um, Talk Radio. And that happened to be a station that I listened to for years exclusively, frankly. And Michael Jackson, not the not the one with the glove, but the but the broadcaster. He was also right. he had the nine o'clock a slot on KBC. I think he left for a while, then he came back. Um, but when you were well, we're going to get into your radio thing. But I th- I think what would be kind of cool is so you there you are in London, and now you've come to the states. So what was so what was your first job when you when you came here? What what did you do? First of all, uh, I'll answer that just directly. But first of all, the question I'm always asked is why did you come to America? I came to America, mm-hmm. and I'll make this as brief as possible. Uh, we, my parents, had a very big house in London in a district or a place called Holland Park. And during the war, that's World War II, my mom rented the top half of our house to American Air Force officers. So because my dad was away fighting the war, a lot of male influence in my informative years was American. And I just, <laughs> read your thing about an accent, I just loved the American accent. I loved the American way of life. And I thought, as soon as I become old enough to do my own thing, I'm going to come to the United States. Okay, back to your question. Um, I was very, very lucky. I arrived in New York, uh, gosh, I want to say 1959, 1960. And I was very, very lucky to find work in a public relations agency. But I was even more lucky because the public relations agency and the name of the woman who ran it was Connie Dinavi and she had several big name clients uh, she had the Everly Brothers which back in the day were very big and mm-hmm. she also had someone called Chubby Checker and then she had someone <laughs> who I'm sure you've heard of called Clint Eastwood so I was really really lucky to get in with her and um Gosh, Marsha, I guess after about, I don't know, two or three years, I decided to pursue my dream of acting, and um, I went to, I came to California. Just uh, as a thought, when I came to California with a friend of mine, we, we, we traveled across the United States on Route 66 back in 1962. And what was so neat about it was when we crossed Texas, we left where we were staying in a B&B uh, at like, I don't know, 7 o'clock in the morning. And then we arrived at another B&B later that evening, also at 7 o'clock. But the funny thing was, for me, was that we were still in Texas. I mean, if you traveled for 12 hours or 8 hours <laughs> in Europe, you'd go through about, you know, 8 or 9 countries. So it was incredible <laughs> to be on this wonderful route and incredible to still be in te- to still be in the United States. Oh, that's that's I the travel, you know, obviously what we're going to be talking about today is travel and and we're going to really the bulk of our show is going to be about travel because I share the love of travel with you as well. But just just to let our our listeners know that may be listening, that's the beauty of a podcast. Somebody's listening in Texas um and maybe never listened to Los Angeles radio. They could do those things today with streaming. 
So just um, let's just get a little bit of the background. What did you actually, because you were more than one, you were not only on KBC, but you were on a couple of different channels. What, what exactly, what, give me a sort of a rundown of that radio history, if you wouldn't mind. That's a great question, and thank you very kindly for that. Um, there are many great things about this great country, um, and that is that this country allows you to do anything you want to do. Um, by that I mean if you have the uh, talent and ability to do whatever it is you're pursuing, anything is possible in the United States. And if you're an actor, you never get acting out of your system. And when I was a teenager, I went to something called Lambda, which is the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. It was one of the uh, prestigious acting academies in London, and I acted in England. And also I did a season of summer stock in Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Mm. And although I sort of, uh, I don't know, I, I sort of hid it for a long time. And then, oh, much, much later in my life, I said, gosh, I really want to go back to acting, but that didn't seem realistic. And so I said, what's another good thing? And I was, a, I was and still am like you, a real lover of radio, and I decided to get on American radio. The number of people, my dear, that I told I wanted to get on radio, they all said, oh, you'll never do it. It's much too competitive. You know, we're, we're way, way more competitive than New York. And I said, yes, I will. And this is just a thought for anybody who wants to, who is in, in your audience, anybody who wants to do something and achieve something, please, I beg of you, I beg of you, just go ahead. And as that saying is, do it, just do it. If you really believe in yourself and you know you have talent, you can achieve anything. Okay, enough preaching. I decided <laughs> to get on American radio, and it's really funny how opportunities occur. I was at KABC 790 talking to an executive there about something totally, absolutely different than getting on the radio. I, because of my public relations background uh, with Continental Airlines, and we can get to that in a minute, but because of my public relations background, I carried with me in a little specific um, case or valise a 15-page flip chart on why John Clayton should be in radio doing a travel show. I carried it with me <laughs> everywhere. On the top of the case, I had a three-cornered stand in which I would display the flip charts. As I was walking out of this executive's office, he said to me, Oh, John, he said, I'm in to ask you, what's in that case? And my heart dropped, and I told him what I just told you. And he looked at me, and his mouth dropped open, and he said, Oh, John, he said, we're looking for a travel guy to do a travel show. Would you be prepared right now to present your presentation to the president of ABC? Long story short, I did. And when I went in to see him, I had researched who he is and who he was. And I knew he was a very aggressive guy. And um, I was halfway through my presentation. He said, stop, 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 stop. He said, you know, you have one thing against you. And I said, what's that? He said, well, you have a British accent. I said, oh, come on, come on, come on. Uh, the number one guy on this station is the Michael Jackson that you, Marsha, mentioned at the beginning mm -hmm. of the show. And I said, he 
is an absolute wonderful example of a Briton. He's the number one guy on the station. Okay, cut to the chase. At the end of my meeting with this guy, which was, I don't know, about six, seven, eight minutes, I walked out, and the guy that I'd gone with came out and said to me, you know what he thought of you? And I, I said, wow, what did he say? <laughs> and, and he said to me, he said, I was very impressed that uh, my bullying of John didn't affect him at all. And he just wasn't intimidated. And because of his knowledge of travel, let's basically sign him to a two-year contract. So if you have any idea of doing anything, you've got to do it and, t- and just disregard all the people who say it, it's too tough. Um, from there, I was there for two years, and then I had a wonderful opportunity with the classical music station, K Mozart, uh, also KKGO, and I went from a two-hour show every Saturday with KABC, which was live radio, to K Mozart, which uh, I was on for, oh gosh, I guess about eight years, eight, nine years, and I went from a two-hour show to a show that had one-minute features about travel. But the good thing was, I had a show, they broadcast my features in the morning and in the evening. But for a writer, anybody who's writing, that is a real challenge in writing uh, to go from a a, a two-hour show to a a minute show. And then finally, Mm -hmm. um, I had been pursuing on the side KNX. I wanted to get on KNX, the CBS station here, more than anything. And the long story short there is that I was pursuing the guy, and his basic comment to me was, you know, you're so persistent, I'm tempted to put you on the radio. Well, before I could persist with him anymore, he left the station. Another guy came in called uh, Ed Pyle, and Ed Pyle, would you believe, and this is so important in life, you've got to be at the right time, the right place with the right people. And the guy said to me, you know, he he, we, he and I talked on the telephone, and he told me that he loved a travel, and he absolutely loved Britain. He said, come in and see me. I went in to see him. We had a wonderful conversation. And he then, me had, he then had me do an audition, and uh, I passed that with flying colors. And eventually, uh, he came, I came back into the station, and they had me sign. Wow. Timing well, timing is everything in life. Everything. Do I know where the KBC studios were um, over on La Cienega, for those, of, right. for those of us that are local? Where was the KNX um, studio located? Was that over by Farmer's Market? That Was it over that, by that CBS? No. Or I, where was I that? Had the good, I had the good fortune of being in the old KNX Studios on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. I mean, here I am wanting to get on American radio, and my last station was in Hollywood in the studio that back in the days of radio, and I'm talking about the 1940s and even the 1930s, where some of the greatest radio shows in American radio were broadcast from. It was, I mean, it was, oh, I was in seventh heaven. It was absolutely incredible. And I was there for six years. So after, gosh, Marsha, I don't remember when they moved, but, um, I left KNX in 2007, so probably about 2005, they moved to the uh, location on the Wilshire Boulevard. Oh yes, they're on Wilshire. You're right. Well, what a what a interesting um, background you have, and and 
for people that are um, interested in learning more about you, I, I do um, have links to some of the things that you've written and talked about and done videos about because clearly, what did you, I think, what did I read somewhere? You've been to 51 countries and you've done like, what, a 5,000 um, um, you know, it's like, oh my God, it's just a lot. So let's let's get over to travel because that's that. And, and I, like I like you and I know, I'm a story collector. You're probably a story collector, and I think that's the the most fun about doing a radio show is is the process of saying to people, you know, I, in the beginning you hear me say conversations, which we're having, plus connections. In our case, it was Dave Turple equals community, and community could be where I live here in Westchester. It could also be a travel community. Community can mean many different things. But I follow that up by what's your story? What's your story? And that's where you come in. So let's talk about travel. And I think the very first question I'd like to ask you is, why do you love to travel? What is it about travel that just just gets you so excited? Well, uh, let me first of all just go to something you began saying a few moments ago, and that is um, uh, if anybody is interesting, interested in talking to me more, I would be thrilled to – thrilled. I'd be absolutely thrilled to hear from them. And all you have to do is send me an email, and we can repeat this later in this show right now. But my yeah. email address is jdcradio at gmail.com. That's jdcradio at gmail.com. Please email me, and I absolutely promise you, I promise you, I will respond. Um, I love travel because I've always loved travel, and that may seem like a, a really obvious thing to say, but travel broadens your scope of education. And sometimes, as I say, I'm an American citizen now, 45 years. When I hear... Americans lucky enough to be born in this country, uh, I say to them, yeah, you know, there are things wrong with this country, but believe me, there is more right with America than any other country in the world. I'm thrilled to be an American, and having visited some, as you just said, I've visited 51 countries around the world, and if they, other people who were born here, saw the kind of lifestyle and things that I've seen around the world, you would also say, thank God, I live and work in America. It's a great country. And yes, another, and I'm sure you can identify with this, Marsha, um, I was very fortunate in all three radio stations. I never had a suit, that is to say a management person, leaning over me when I was writing the scripts saying, oh, John, no, you can't say that, no. I was very fortunate at ABC, KKGO, and KNX. Every program director and every suit let me do my own thing. And I mention that because uh, it is so important for a creative individual to do their own thing. As one but quick example, when I was on ABC uh, doing a live show, I would say, oh, that is boring. The number of listeners that would write in and say, oh, I just love the way John says things like that. So, you know, had I been overseen or watched by a suit, I'm sure he or she would have said, oh, no, John, you can't say it like that. But the interesting thing is, Marsha, that my, oh, gosh, format, I guess, my format made my show the number one weekend show on KABC. I didn't mm -hmm. say that. 
Arbitron said that. And Arbitron, for people that don't know, Arbitron is to radio what television is. I mean, what what Nielsen is to television. So, um, yes, I was very, very fortunate there. Um, I love travel because, it, as I just said, it exposes you to lifestyles and people that in any other situation you wouldn't be able to, you know, intermingle with. So if you have the money, even if you don't have the money, there are a lot of really inexpensive ways to travel that can give you a good um, – I don't know, can give you another view of the world and how other people live. And if you do that, you'll see what a lucky person you are to live in the United States. Uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I, I absolutely agree with what you've said. I, I do believe that it broadens your scope of education. I do believe that lifestyle and people are important. It takes me to such a significant travel experience, John, in my own personal experience, because of my good fortune to have a very good friend, Shelley Wells, who works at our local university here in Westchester, Loyola Marymount University, she works in their executive MBA program office, and part of the students' um, thing in their in their to get their degree as their their executive MBA is international travel, and I had the good fortune to travel all over the world as kind of a tag along with Shelley, and experience things. And our last international travel was to Africa. And what you just said is so true because if somebody said to me, you can only choose one thing of all of your experiences, whether it's, you know, what you did with your camera, what you ate, what you saw, whatever that might be, and you could only choose one, I would tell you every single time, wherever I went, it was the people. There is nothing more unifying than talking and being with people. And I don't mean that we have the same lifestyles. I don't live in a container in Soweto. But what was, what was unifying is their smile and their appreciation and their love of life, regardless. Oh, yes, they, there were certainly, I mean, when you're trying to find water and you've got to walk two miles to get it, you better bet that we Americans that just turn on our tap obviously know that. Or, you know, you could be in Botswana where, you know, all they're doing is handling diamonds all day. So, I mean, right. uh, traveling is just the absolute most exciting thing to do. And I'm, that's why I, this was, is so exciting to have, you, to have you join me. And I noticed on um, one of the sites I was reading about you that you – also have a real love for creative photography. Is that true? Is that is photography a part of traveling that you really enjoy? Yeah. Um, again, I, I have so many thoughts dashing around my mind talking to you. Yes. And before, before I forget it, let me just go back to one thing you said a few moments ago about travel. Um, many people ask me, well, John, you're, you've, had, you've got the job of a lifetime. That's certainly true. And what I didn't realize, the first press trip, and they're called press trips when a country or a city invites you, my first press trip was to Ireland. And I was absolutely blown away when I found out that the entire trip was free, the, the airline, everything was free due to it, the fact that it was um, – sponsored by the Irish Tourist Office. And so all the trips that I did, I was very, very fortunate to have the city or the country or the airline or a combination of all those pay for everything. 
And you may, some people may say, well, gosh, you know, uh, how did how did they manage to, or why did not not how did they manage, but why did they, you know, give you a free trip? Well, whatever it cost them, when I think about my show on any one of the stations, but let's just take KNX. My show on KNX, which ended up being a three-minute show, was repeated five times every Saturday and Sunday. If you look at what KNX charges now for airtime, uh, I don't want to mention a figure, but um, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. So whoever you know, I talked about got a tremendous value for money in, in that it was um, quote-unquote free publicity. It wasn't something that was paid for. So uh, again, I had a very good job. It was a job I loved. And I was lucky enough to to have to be treated, yeah, <laughs> to be treated like royalty. They always, and again, I don't know if this still exists today, but the fact that they would always put me in business class, it was it was magical. Okay, to answer your question about photography, <laughs> I have loved photography ever since I was a small kid. Um, something about photography, I used to go around. I, in fact, I. Oh, gosh, Marsha, 15, 20, oh, more than that, 30, 40 years ago, uh, I went on the professional lecture circuit, and I had a presentation called An Ex-Englishman Takes a New Look Amer- a New Look at America, and it was just really me talking about why I was thrilled to be in America, why it's such a great country, and why miracles happen here that don't happen anywhere else. Part of my presentation also involved a small section of photography. When you as a person look through that lens, anybody can take a photograph, but only a very few people know when they look through that lens how to frame a photograph. And if you, you know, you either are creative or you're not. And so sometimes when people look at some of my photographs, um, I don't just just a tree as an example, you might say, oh, gosh, John, how do you see that? You either see a tree in a very creative situation. Maybe you shoot it, you know, lying down on the ground and looking up at it. There's a whole different selection. Um, Do I think you can, you know, be creative if you're not? I very much doubt it. It's one of those things you're born with. And uh, I I hesitate to say this, but I don't think you can inherit uh, or or create creativity within yourself. And I have... Oh, gosh, in my travels, uh, in fact, I'm looking at them now, I have a whole bookcase here full of photographs from the 51 countries that I've visited or been privileged to visit. There must be, I don't know, at least 10,000 photographs. And the question becomes, Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm no longer here, I mean, who's going to be interested in those photographs? Because everything today (laughs) is digital and online. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's a wonderful means of communication. It is. One last question about um, that because, oh, my gosh, well, this should be a two-hour show. So I guess I have two questions. Um, most people are, that, that are photographers um, are either a Nikon or a Canon. Are you one or, are you one or the other? Um, it's been so long since I have my camera, but I think if I put on my memory cap, I think I had a Canon, yes. Okay. I'm a Panasonic person, so I have a Lumix camera with a Leica lens, and so I don't oh, sit yeah. on the, the – I, I love my cameras. I have two. I'm never without them. I know the cell phones are really great. 
Um, I tend to not take pictures of people as much as I take pictures of birds or a rock or a flower or a bee, and I am drawn to color. So that's kind of how, but when you're in Africa, then you're drawn to animals. But that's another story. Okay, so that's the travel. So let me, camera, so um, how do you think traveling as a journalist is different than somebody that travels like me as just a traveler, somebody on vacation. Do you think there's a difference? I do. I do, I do. And that's a really interesting question, and thank you for asking me that. Um, I think as a travel journalist, um, you look at travel differently because you're always looking for my show was called John Clayton's Travel with a Difference. So I was always looking for a different monument, a different piece of architecture, a different something or other. Whereas as a tourist, you just go in and enjoy all the regular sites. I think another thing in this, I don't, I don't want to say it's a black mark against travel journalists, but I think the fact that when you are on a travel press trip, and again, I really don't know if they're still offering them because the, the expenses are quite quite considerable. But I think you look at things differently when you realize, you know, that you're seeing all these things free. And that immediately, immediately raises the question, and I've been asked this so many times, and that is, oh, John, what happens if you go to some country and you, you know, you don't like something, do you say to yourself, well, I got a report on it because it, it, it's free? Well, the answer is no. If I didn't like something in a country, I mean, say I did something on Brussels in Belgium, uh, there may have been some very famous museum or some historic monument that I went to see or was shown. I just never mentioned it. Um, Mm-hmm. To give you a very quick example of what I'm talking about, when we I've been to Munich several times, but there is a bridge in Munich in which a very, very fast-flowing river goes underneath. And would you believe the river is so fast, they have some of the best surfboarding in Germany on this river. So naturally, wow. since my show was called John Clayton's Travel with a Difference, not only did I take a picture of the people surfboarding there that I put on my website, but I also did a feature on it. So it's those kinds of things. And, you know, as a regular tourist, if you just walk over that bridge, you'd say, oh, well, that's interesting, uh, surfboarding in Munich. But because of your radio journalist, you look for specific things that make them stand out so that when you write about it, or in my case, talk about it, uh, it becomes a whole different ballgame and you let people know there are different things going on. So, yeah, there's a big difference. And I wonder wonder how many travel journalists appreciate that fact. It would be interesting to find out. Wouldn't it? Because what, what you've just described is very enticing. And now with, with what we have access to that we didn't have access to 30 years ago with the Internet and all these different sites where you can, you know, what, what should I do when I visit Brussels? You know, I remember the train station there. You know, when I'm in, yeah. when I'm in Istanbul, what shouldn't I miss? Well, you better not miss, uh, you know, Sophia. You know, you better not miss that. You, you know, you, you, there are just things that you don't want to miss. Um, you want to get on the Mekong if you're in Vietnam. There's just a lot of things. And, and if you have a good travel agency, you know, they can help you with those things. But what I'm hearing you say is something beyond that. And it's really funny. This is just a side note back to photography because 
we're having this conversation. I sort of have a signature way of dressing, and people that know me know this about me. If they saw my business card, if they follow me on, on Facebook and on my website, you will see that I almost always wear Converse, what, I, what, what we know, what we call here Chucks, Chuck, after Chuck Taylor. And so Chucks is, is that kind of You have a what, Taylor? They're called, they're called Chucks, and it's, it's really the name of Chuck Taylor. He was a basketball player way back in the day, and those were the shoes that he wore, and Converse made shoes just for him. How that man could have ever played basketball in a shoe that was completely unsupported <laughs> is unbelievable. But I wear them, and I don't even want to tell you how many pairs I have. What I found so fascinating when I said I don't really take pictures of people, I do take pictures of experiences. And when I was in Africa, every worker in the, in the restaurants that we were in were all wearing high-top chucks. When we went to um, productions, they were wearing chucks. When I saw little children behind a gate in an orphanage, oh, my God, they were wearing chucks. And I did a whole article about chucks. And it, that's what's so much fun about that. I found that extraordinary. So that is, that isn't, you know, you don't say, well, I'm going to travel to Europe and I want to look for people wearing chucks. That's kind of stupid. But, um, but Marshall, let me, let me is, ask you, but while I remember the yes. question, are the shoes yes. so unique that they stand out? I mean, the fact that you went to all these places and you saw people wearing them, that must mean, um, it must mean they're very unique and special. Well, I'll tell you, it's sort of like, you know, do people wear Nikes? Do people wear Adidas? It wasn't that they were so unique. The, the workers there were all wearing black ones, high tops, not low tops. In my case, I probably have a pair of chucks in every color that's ever been made, <laughs> every color that's ever been made. So when I get dressed and I'm going to the Dodger game, I've got on my Dodger blue chucks. Right now I'm wearing a gray and white polka dot T-shirt, and my chucks, you guessed it, gray and white polka dots. So, you know, I'm a little um, obsessive about that. So it's just, it's just me, a little a, a side note. So let's get back to you because this, is, this is show is about you. So I want to ask you this question because I think this is a really cool question. I'm really interested to know this. So do you personally have a favorite form of transportation personally? Absolutely, absolutely. And, okay. um, my favorite form of transportation are trains, but especially steam trains. Um, having all these sorts, and again, I've got to mention it while I think of it, but another thing about the difference between uh, a traveler and a travel journalist, um, on a press, well, let me tell you the, 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 the whole thing here. When you are a travel journalist, you're escorted by someone from that town, city, or country who knows everything from A to Z. And on a press trip to London uh, a few years ago, they said, we want to show you something really different. And they took us to the River Thames, and we boarded a beautiful catamaran boat that is now, uh, gosh, for at least the last 15, 20 years, it's like a regular bus service on the River Thames. It's a wonderful way to see London from a completely different perspective, that's to say, on the River Thames. And had I not been a travel journalist, they, the British tourist office in London or the London tourist office, would never have showed it to us. So, you know, you get mm. to see things that you ordinarily, as a regular traveler, would not see, and that is another a benefit of being, you know, into travel. Um, 
What was the what was the question you asked me? <laughs> you know what, John? I'm loving this conversation. Do I need to get you some more coffee? Okay. So what, so what I asked you is, you I asked you what your favorite form of transportation was, oh, and yeah. you mentioned trains, specifically steam trains. Um, what's a steam I, train? I don't know. I really have two forms of transportation. Um, one is our steam engines, and the other are the other is is is. Well, I've got two favorite countries, and maybe you're going to ask me that. But my two favorite countries are uh, Switzerland, uh, Switzerland, and New Zealand. If you are a train aficionado, Switzerland is absolutely the country you must visit. The trains there, I once had an incredible offer from the Swiss tourist office. They said to me, John, we love your show so much. Tell us all the places you would like to visit, and we will arrange for you to get there by train. It was absolutely I mean, I, the scenery in Switzerland is to die for. It is awe-inspiring, beautiful, and it, it takes every adjective you've ever known in your life to describe it. So to go to Switzerland and ride in some of these incredible, incredible mountain trains, trains that just go across the country, and trains that not only you know are, are the main form of transportation, but then to go to a special place where the train drops you off, and then you go on one of those absolutely incredible, wonderful steamers that go across the lakes in Switzerland, that is absolutely incredible. Now, to go to steam trains, um, England was the country that really invented the steam engine, and uh, with Stevenson's rocket years and years and well, decades, decades ago, if you go to England, there were many when English rail was uh, nationalized or put out of business by a guy called Beeching, uh, I guess in the 1950s, he basically eliminated a lot, and I mean a lot of English trains. And back then, all the transportation was by steam trains. And literally, thank goodness Thank goodness, a lot of local people around the United Kingdom said, wait a minute, these are real treasures. We're going to save them. So throughout England has more small uh, classic steam trains than any other country in the world. And sometimes they would buy like three miles of track. But those three miles of track would run through some of the most scenic, countryside you've ever seen and they would recreate you know what it was like in the 1940s and the early 1950s so that anyone who loves steam trains could still ride on a steam train and what to me was when I investigated all this there was some place where Oh, I hate to think about it. There was some place in England where all the trains that were taken out of service were basically dumped like a garbage dump and thank goodness, Marsha, thank goodness, some of the forward-thinking people, they would go there, literally rescue the steam engines, take them back to their particular part of the United Kingdom, and then refurbish them and repaint them and restore them to their original uh, original condition. One of the great lines is the Bluebell line. Uh, there is also one down in the country, the West Somerset line. And all you need to do is just go online and type in classic British steam trains, and you'll see a whole mass of all these lines. Um, so you can still relive that era. So yes, uh, unfortunately, the means of travel now are all you know super fast, like the t- French TV 
TGV, which or the Eurostar, the Eurostar is the train that goes from London to Paris and Brussels, and I've been on it five times. It's the train that goes mm-hmm. under under the English Channel. And mm-hmm. what is so incredible is they go about eighty about 180 miles an hour. And so when you pass one going in the opposite direction, pew! I mean, it's like you're being shot out of a bullet, but it is it is extraordinary to ride under the English Channel. And on every trip that I've been on the Eurostar, the crossing of the channel or underneath it takes exactly 20 minutes. It's a little, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't want to say claustrophobic, but it's a little... Oh gosh, I'm I'm under the English Channel. Uh, do you think we can get? I mean, it's 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 if you let it, if it let you blow you blow you away, it's possible. But it's completely, absolutely safe, and it's a wonderful, wonderful. Anybody who goes goes to England and wants to get to the continent, I urge you, I urge you, to take the Eurostar. In fact, it's so good and so fast that airplane travel between London. And Paris and Brussels has greatly been great, greatly been eliminated almost because it's cheaper, faster, and absolutely so much better than going by plane. I mean, to go from London to Paris by train by is uh, one hour and twenty minutes. You don't have to go through all that stuff at the airport. Maybe the fog at Heathrow, so you get delayed. So, urge you. Please look online under Eurostar, and I urge you to take that train. It's incredible. Let me. Let me ask you this because I have a feeling they aren't the same. I remember taking one of those trains, and you even used the word, and it was called the bullet train. Is that something different than the Eurostar? The bullet train is in uh, Japan, uh, and I've ridden that twice. Oh. Um, the, the bullet train was called that because when it, I think Japan was one of the first countries to introduce super-fast travel, and people said, wow, that goes faster than a bullet. And so the name stuck, oh. and they called it the bullet train. But, yes, I've been on the Eurostar. I've been on the German ice train. Uh, I've been on most of the world's uh, super-fast trains, and it's European trains for anyone who's listening uh, that loves trains. If you want to go, say, from Berlin to, you know, Vienna, I urge you to go by train. You don't need to travel first class. European trains are very friendly. They're very fast, and it's a wonderful way to see the country and also to engage in conversation with locals. Yes, and you know something? Thank you for clarifying that because I was in Paris doing that many years ago, and I made a presumption, clearly incorrect, because I'm sure I was on the Eurostar. I wasn't in Japan. And at one time we kind of looked up at the at what the kilograms, not kilograms, kilometers, and it was like, oh, my God, what does that translate to miles per hour and you're looking, like you said, out of the countryside, and you're seeing the cows, and, and then you're seeing the sheep, and you're looking at the green grass, and you're going, wow, this is just amazing. I would agree with you. I, I think train travel, and you know, you can do that here. You're a traveler. You could, my friends did this Rocky Mountaineer where they started in Vancouver, and they went across Canada to Calgary or whatever, all on a train. And um, I was on a train when I was in Africa where it had that high dome and you were just in Denali. 
you know, so I mean, I would agree with you. I lo- I love train traveling. I, you know what? You, what you I'm really curious about. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Canada. Uh, the train you're talking about is called the Rocky Mountaineer. It goes from Vancouver, and it's basically a two-day trip. You go. Uh, on that, and it stops sort of halfway in a place called Kamloops, K-A-M-L-O-O-P-S, Kamloops. You spend the night there, and the following day you go to Calgary. But the beauty, the beauty of that train is that it is probably one of the best ways, the most exciting and certainly the most romantic, to see the Rockies. And it is uh, an experience. And also you can ride uh, and you've got, you've got to be very careful when you do this, but you can ride on those sort of, um, I don't say the back of the train, but it's open and you can stand on. Mm-hmm. You know when presidents make tours of the United States and they ride on the back of the train? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can ride yes. on the back, but I urge you, another travel tip, You can. Uh, I urge you to, if you want to see the Rockies in an unprecedented, beautiful way, uh, you got to uh, access uh, the Rocky Mountaineer. It's a beautiful train, and the food is to die for, and it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yes, they they had a marvelous time, and even though there was snow, didn't alter their their wonderful experience. You know, when people you talk to people about travel, and 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 as obviously you love it, and I love it, and you always hear this term bucket list, right? Like, what's on your bucket list? Is the, do you personally, John, do you personally have a bucket list like, I cannot believe I haven't been there yet, and that is on the top of my bucket list. Do you have one? I do, and I don't, and that's kind of a weird answer. <laughs> but, yes, if, if there's one of the many questions that I'm asked, that's it. You know, John, with all the places that you've been, you know, do you have a bucket list? Yeah, there is. Um and it's Russia, strangely. Um, we, my wife and I, were invited on what I still consider to be one of the trips in my lifetime, and that was a Viking River cruise in China. And Viking River cruises, of all the cruise lines there are, and that's another subject we can talk about maybe another time, but when people think of yes. cruising, they more often think of an ocean cruise, but river cruising is absolutely fantastic. Anyway, um, Viking River cruises has a trip in Russia. Of all the things I've wanted to do in my life, I've always wanted to go to China. So when they invited me as a travel journalist and my wife to go to China to experience their Viking River Cruises first river trip in China on the Yangtze, I jumped at it. And the benefit of doing that, my dear, is that they showed you, the travel journalist, all the neat things that they wanted the regular tourists to see and do. So when you look at what Russia uh, or what Viking River Cruises does in Russia, it is absolutely fantastic. Um, there are many ways to see Russia, and maybe I just haven't found the right right you know thing. But yeah, uh, I would like to. That's number one on my bucket list. But by the same token. Uh, I'm not 20 anymore. I'm not even 50 anymore. So would I want to <laughs> bottle myself up in a, you know, metal tube to endure, I don't know, 20 whatever hours yes. going to Russia? So those problems, you know, as you get older, you realize there are certain things. And then traveling today is uh, such a, I don't know when you last took a trip somewhere, but when you think about traveling now, all the hassle, which is, I, I guess, 
you know, mandatory and, and good at mm-hmm. airports. And then the fact that you have to, from what I gather, you know, you've got to pay for towels on the airplane, for sitting in a seat, for sitting in the corners. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. But, yes, that's my bucket list to go to Russia. And it would be, I'm sure, an absolutely fascinating trip. Indeed. I, 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 I yeah. You know what? This is I can tell you right now, this is a part two show because all these questions that I'm asking you, I could ask of myself because of how much I also enjoy enjoy traveling. But there's just so much, there's just so much about you. And gosh, we have like 10 minutes and I'm looking at what I wanted to ask you about because your life, your life has just been so, so remarkable. So I'm going to just, I'm going to give you this choice because I, I was going to ask you about 60 Minutes. I was going to ask you about what happened in 2015 at LAX, which is the airport, you know, that if I had my windows open, you could hear the planes right now. So if, I was, if you were going to tell us a story where you really didn't feel confined to get it in in three minutes, what would you like to talk about? Would you like to tell us about 60 Minutes or would you like to tell us about what really happened in 2015 at LAX? You choose. Uh, the, the 2015 thing we'll have to do, you know, at another time because there's some side right. aspects of that. But 60 All Minutes, right. um, you're a very good interviewer and you're asking some really interesting oh, questions. And you. there is there is a real art to asking questions on radio and television. And we've got to talk uh, another time if you're interested in having me back again, and I would love to do it. Of uh, but if you have me back again, uh, I also have a television show uh, that if anyone emails me, I can give you some you know good input on how to access that. Uh, in fact, if you go on YouTube and type in Armchair Traveler with John yep. Clayton, you'll see a lot of probably, I don't know, 20 or 25 eight to ten mm-hmm. minute shows about various things around the South Bay here in, in, in L.A. And, and, and the South Bay. Um, but 60 Minutes, several years ago, in fact, maybe 15 years ago, they sent a reporter to Afghanistan and Iraq to talk to the people that do the IEDs. That's the mm-hmm. explosive devices. And he was interviewing one of the guys that actually, you know, takes them and makes them safe again. And this 60 Minutes interviewer said to the guy, now this is a very dangerous job, isn't it? Now what is the guy going to say? Yes, no. I mean, that is an (laughs) awful, awful way to interview someone. A much better question would have been, why? Why is this such a dangerous job? So I'm absolutely stunned. Uh, you know, the the, t- the typical questions are in the five W's, who, what, why, where, and when. Those are the five journalistic mm-hmm. W's. But to say to someone, this is a very dangerous job, I mean, ah, I just was sitting in my chair you going crazy. You want to say, duh, right? <laughs> oh, man, One other so very funny. quick thing in the few remaining seconds okay. we've got here. Yes. Um, no, going back to the beginning. Minutes. No, don't rush. Going back to the beginning of our show, um, about coming to the United States, uh, when I was, oh gosh, a, a kid, uh, one of the Americans that was staying with my parents or in the, in the top half of our house invited me out to the biggest B-17, the Flying Fortress Base in England in World War II, at a place called Bassingbourne. And he, 
let me go on, on a B-17 that the next day was going to fly on a mission to Germany. I was absolutely, I mean, it sounds funny or maybe crazy to say I was in seventh heaven, but I was. Um, a few years ago, and I think it's a yearly event here in Torrance in the South Bay, uh, a B-17 comes in and they give you, I guess, for about $150 or maybe 500 I don't know what it is, but they allow a certain number of about five citizens to take a 20-minute ride in the B-17. So when they Ooh. came here, oh, in 2007, I guess the first time I knew about it, I went down there, introduced them, told them who I was, that I had a television show, and they allowed me to come on the plane, and it was absolutely in seventh heaven. There's two things that stand out. One, when you see movies about the B-17, you think how wide the fuselage is. Well, it isn't. The two gunners at the side of the plane when they do their, when they have their positions, their backsides are touching each other, and um, to just sit there, I sat there, I sat in the radio oper operator's position, and to sit there as we took off and landed, I was absolutely transfixed. I was transfixed mm -hmm. as if I was flying on a mission in Germany in World War II. So if you ever get an opportunity to do one of those things, uh, I urge you to do it. It's Absolutely incredible. For another show with you, um, I would love to talk to you about Normandy. If you were to ask me what is one of my most favorite or, you know, whatever, I, not the country, but one of my most favorite places to go, it's Normandy. I've been fascinated by Normandy since I was a kid, and we can get into that with much more detail next time. But I've been to Normandy, mm -hmm. uh, let's see, four times, and the people in Normandy who knew my shows and everything invited me to the 2004 60th anniversary of D-Day. And because I was a journalist, I was working for KNX at the time, I, Marsha, I sat 50 feet from Putin of Russia, George Bush of the United States, and Queen Elizabeth. Ooh. And it was absolutely incredible. When I first went to Omaha Beach, Omaha Beach was the beach of the five invasion beaches uh, where the Americans landed, and it was it got so terrible that Omaha Beach became known as Bloody Omaha. But when I mm. stood there, it was a beautiful sunny day. There were kids playing in the sand, and the skies were blue. I mean, it was a perfect day. I stood there and I thought back 60 years and thought about the mayhem, the madness, the bullets, the guns, the noise. And to have that transition, oh, I mean, it nearly nearly brought tears to my eyes. So I would love, <clears throat> some, pardon me, I would love to sometime to talk to you about Normandy and things like that. It is, ah, it is a place that is certainly should be on your bucket list or I've got to visit yes. that next time I go to Europe. So, yes, we, we have... <coughs> Pardon me, we have a lot more. Plenty we can talk about. You seriously, because for I got to tell you, what's on my bucket list? Like if you just just said, just throw it out there, and and not and international, okay, not the U.S. I would say I've never been to Prague. My husband was Polish. I would I know that what I what I understand about Prague is that it didn't take any damage to, from the war, and that those churches. Um, you know, are still those churches, and that that would be that would be a place that I would find 
you know, kind of interesting to, to visit. For me personally, I think that would be kind of cool. But, um, you know, it, it, wherever you go, there's going to be people, right? So if there's people, there's conversation. And, and I, I have found, I mean, I went to Alaska on a cruise. I loved it. So, you know, you there is so much that we can all see and truly enjoy that, you know, granted, you know, you better have a dollar or two. I mean, it, it helps if you can, you know, afford the kinds of, of experiences that you want to afford. I mean, you know, and you talk, you know, you mentioned we're not 30 anymore. You know, traveling to Africa took forever. Traveling to Vietnam took forever. And, you know, you're concerned about that. And today, you know, with all the different, you know, concerns we have between safety, between health, whoever would have thought that we'd be talking about measles when you're traveling, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, seriously, but, but it's true, right? I mean, you know, so it's just anything like that is, is possible in today's, you know, environment. And then if you're a social media junkie like I am, it's like, okay, well, I need to have access to the Internet, my God, you know, and, and I want to let my people know where I am and what I'm doing and taking my pictures and blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it, it's just part of, for me, part of that adventure and, and then In the, the last food. two minutes, oh let me God. ask you a quick question. Yes. Uh, when sure. you're traveling around Europe, did you ever pause to think, my goodness me, look at all these, ch- you mentioned churches. Did you ever pause to think and you go back to World War II and you looked at photographs of Europe, the devastation? I mean, did you ever think when you look at those photographs, they would be today what they are? I mean, you would never know no. in a million years that no. some of the towns that were devastated are as beautiful as they are today. Did you ever look at that and think about all that? I thought about that in a lot of the different places that I was in. And, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of – there is a there is a, um, the possibility, there is the risk for danger. And you get home and you're sitting in the comfort of your own living room watching TV, the news comes on, and you hear about an event that happened, the marketplace in Istanbul. Oh, my God. I was there. Right. The train station in Brussels. Oh, my God. I was there. You know, I, I, I mean, you know, there's, there, there, you, you can go to – listen, I shed – on a positive, I shed tears. We were in Athens. We went to the Colosseum. We got, went through the tunnel. We went on to the Olympic Stadium, and I jogged on the court, on the on the track. I mean, really, Marsh, Mar- little Marsha from Westchester, jogging on the track, going, "Am I really here?" Tears were running down my eyes. Marathon. How did they get that name? Oh yeah, because there was a city called Marathon, and it was twenty-six point, you know, three miles from where we are today. And, you know, that's what travel does. The Coliseum just, oh, it's just, it is truly remarkable to travel and see some of these things and pinching yourself going, am I really here? I'm in Vietnam. Am I going to cross the street without getting hit by one of those motorcycles? Because, oh my God, I'm short. They're short. Oh my God. How am I going to get across the street? And why does that lady have goose on the back of her motorcycle? Well, because she's taking it to market. I, I, I could really, I could go on forever about what it means to travel. But
But what I really want to make sure we do before we suddenly go, oh, my goodness, we didn't say this again. You generously um, mentioned your email at the beginning of the show, and I want to mention it once again. So for those of you that are listening, it's pretty easy to remember because it's, you know, it's, it's kind of your initials. So it's J-D, like, I don't know, what's that middle initial of your name? I don't know what D stands for. Is your middle name David? I don't know. Um, but it's, is it? Is it David? Hello? Oh, my yeah, goodness, John. Oh, good, good. What is your middle name, just out of curiosity? What is my middle initial? Yeah, what does it stand for? Uh, that's another joke, but it's a really unusual name. Durnford, D-U-R-N-F-O-R-D. <laughs> there you go. So don't remember that, everybody. Just throw that, just cast that aside. Put it into the ocean. If you want to reach John and you want to talk to him about your travel experiences, you simply can send him an email. It's jdcradio at gmail.com. And you also have a Facebook page because you and I um, are Facebook friends as well. And, and, you, and you post there because social media is important to all of us. And I knew I knew that this was going to fly by for us, but I've got to tell, I've got to share one last story before we say goodbye, and that is you never know when people just walk into your life. You're not expecting them, and things just happen. What just so happens that I was at an event sitting next to this delightful woman. I didn't know anything about her. I just knew her first name was Angie, and she was from Liverpool. And we started talking. And she cracked me up. I, can't, well, I won't tell you what it was that she said. And I went, are you kidding? Did you just use that word? And then I learned she's 90 years old. And I'm looking at her. I'm going, you're 90? I can't believe that. As we're continuing to talk her with her, with her British Liverpool accent, John, she mentions her last name. Mm-hmm. Her last name is McCartney. It no doesn't even occur to me. I am so intrigued by this woman. It doesn't even occur to me like McCartney, McCartney? No, it doesn't occur to me. The next day, she and I are in touch. I've Googled her now. Yes, indeed. She was Paul McCartney's stepmother. She was married to Paul's father, James, and married him when Paul turned 22, two weeks before coming to the U.S., Fast forward to tomorrow. She is also a podcaster, and I am going to her home tomorrow at 1130, Ah. and I am going to be a guest on her show, and it's called Angie T-Flix, and that's T-E-A-F-L-I-X, Tuesdays McCartney. I'll put this out there on Facebook, but I'm going to go and sit with uh, Angie McCartney and talk a little bit about what it is I do, because that's what we do in communities, right? We have conversations. We have connections. And that is the beauty of living. It is what puts gas in my tank. And there is no doubt that I will have you back on my show, and we'll talk about some of the things we didn't even get to. We could do a whole show on travel tips. Um, how to dress, how to be prepared. Do you believe in compression socks? How much water do you think you should drink? Oh, I mean, do you drink the water when you're in Vietnam? Do you brush your teeth with that water? I mean, there's a thousand things we can talk about. But I just want to tell you 
that thanks to Dave Turple saying, Marsha, you want to talk to an interesting man that those Equis guys thinks he's interesting? Wait till you talk to John Clayton because he may be the most interesting man. You may have knocked that Dos Equis guy off the, off, the, off the rock. I'm just saying. So, John, I just thank you for taking the time and sharing some of your travel stories with us. What a wonderful show. What a great way to start the Monday. I'm so grateful for your time, John. It's a pleasure. I'm thrilled. I'm delighted. Uh, I can't believe how fast an hour's gone by. What do they say? <laughs> how fast time goes by when you're having fun. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for being who you are. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, boy. All right, everyone. Go out there. Put a smile on your face and then pass it on to somebody else. You never know what somebody might be going through, and that smile may be the greatest gift they get today, so share it. And next week, I'll be having a show that you aren't even going to believe. Next Monday, my show is called Ballet Beyond Borders. It's all about what ballet is doing across this globe. It's going to be remarkable. Okay, everybody, have a great week, and thanks again, John. Until next time, everybody, bye for now.